in our seats. We're going to go ahead and try to get started so I don't go so long tonight. Um, I'm doing my very best. This is a lot of information that I'm covering, and I'm having a hard time cramping about two hours worth of information into an hour and 15 minutes. So bear with me. Um, if we do get to the 8 o'clock point, let me make it known right off the bat, there's no condemnation. If you've got to be somewhere, if you need to go pick up your kids, whatever, you get on up and you go do what you've got to do. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings in here. We just talked about, you know, not being offended. So, so we, uh, you know, we're safe. So if, you get, if we get to the 8 o'clock point and I'm still rambling on a little bit, feel free to get up and do whatever you need to do. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to say I'm going to cut it off because there's some good stuff that I would hate not to share with you. I don't think Jesus ever taught and was like, man, I've been teaching for an hour and 30 minutes. I better go and let these people leave for a while, you know. I just don't think that was his attitude. So I don't want to come with the same attitude, especially since I'm speaking the words of Jesus, the words of life and the words of truth. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, Jacob, you want to open us up in prayer tonight? Amen. So tonight is one of my favorites. It's the Great Commission. Um, Man, this is the reason. This is it. You know, Jesus, he says, Behold, I give you two commandments, and we've discussed those, to to love God with all your heart, mind, body, and spirit, and then the others to love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the very last command. It's not a suggestion, by the way. The Great Commission is not a great suggestion. I'm going to say that again. The Great Commission was not a great suggestion for believers. This was a command that God gave us to go, to be, and to do. You know, sometimes we take it way too lightly, this very last thing that Jesus told us to do. But this is the whole purpose that we are alive today. Amen? Everything else takes a back seat to what Jesus said we're supposed to be about. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Under the first section of the Great Commission is the mission, the vision, and the command of Jesus. Matthew 4, 19 says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of man. Notice that Jesus makes it very clear that to become fishers of men, you must first choose to follow after him. Only out of a living and active pursuit of God does our purpose flow. You know, I love that story. They don't know Jesus. The first time they've ever met him. They've been fishing their whole life. It's who they are. I'm a fisherman. And Jesus says, no, you're a fisher of men. Follow me. And immediately the Bible says, I love that the word immediately is in there. Because they didn't hesitate. They didn't say, well, let me go talk to my wife. Let me go talk to my best friend and make sure, you know, this is the, the, the course for my life. The Bible says they immediately left their, dropped their nets and followed Jesus. And that's the kind of dedication that he demands from his disciples. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, when God calls you, when Jesus comes and says, follow me, 
You've got to drop your nets. You've got to leave what you're doing, and you've got to be willing to follow him, leaving everything that you know, everything that is your identity, everything that makes you who you are. You have to be willing to say, okay, Jesus, it's all about you. See, that's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. You know, we talked in the very first session about how everybody will say, yeah, I'm saved. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. But here's the thing. That's not the thing that's actually going to make you qualified to enter in. It's that Jesus was your Lord. And see, for someone to be your Lord, that means they have to have authority over you. You have to be submitted to that authority. And so Jesus is calling all of us. When he calls the disciples, he's calling all of us. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. So what's the mission and vision? Or the command that Jesus left? In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That's it. There's three, three big things that he, he tells us to be about doing. Make disciples of all nations. Listen, sometimes I've found it hard in my life to make disciples out of my neighbors, much less the nations. But I think it's where it starts. You know, maybe it even starts closer to home. Maybe you're, are you really discipling your children? Are you discipling your husband or your wife? Are you truly trying to pour yourself and your life and your heart into somebody else for Jesus? That's the question. Are you making disciples? Because if the answer is no, then we need to, we need to say, hey, this is, not a, this is not a great suggestion. It's a command that Jesus left us. We need to be making disciples. <clears throat> Does that mean you have to... Jesus had... Thousands, multitudes following him. But he had 12 disciples, right? And one of the disciples we know even betrayed him in the end. So I'm not saying it's the number that you're influencing that matters. Please hear me on this. If you affect one person in your life, you have no idea how many people that one person will affect with theirs. You have no idea. I love the story about Billy Graham's salvation story. He grew up on a farm, and one of his, his neighbors had an old pickup truck that Billy Graham loved and admired, and he always was asking him if he could go drive his old truck. Well, he was asking and asking and asking, and finally the old man said, I tell you what, you can drive me to church, and you can drive me home, but you've got to go to church. And in one of those times when he was driving his neighbor in this nice truck he loved so much, Billy Graham accepted Jesus as his Lord. Now that old man was just an old farmer. 
And he probably never felt like he did anything significant for God. But he had an impact on Billy Graham and led Billy Graham to the Lord. And Billy Graham has led millions. So don't mistake the numbers that you're affecting. Even if it's just one, pour everything you have into them because they could change the world. They can change the world. The promise of signs and wonders. Well, I'm, I'm going to keep going one more time. The next thing is baptizing them. You know, we, uh, we discussed baptism, the importance of that. Listen, if we're getting them saved, if we're calling them, bringing them in, we need to not put that off. Jesus says it's so important, I'm going to put it in my commission to you. So don't put baptism as an afterthought from now on. When you're bringing people into the kingdom, it needs to be something you're automatically bringing people into realization, their need for water baptism. It's so important. And if you're forgetting why that's so important, go back to your book. It's all in there. It's all in there. Teaching them to observe all things that, they, that I have commanded you. <clears throat> you know, I think when you're talking about teaching people to be obedient, Right to observe the commands, to obey God's command. I think the best way to teach people to be obedient to God is to live a life of obedience. You know, I mean, for, I don't know about y'all, but if someone it tells me how to do something versus someone who does it every day, I'm, I, I, I'm a catcher. I will catch it from them a lot faster than I will learn it from them. I'll see how they do it in their life every day. I'll see how they walk it out. And I'll go, okay. So I encourage you, live it out. Live it before people. Be obedient to God. Even unto death. I love that he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he says to go. Why do you think it's so important for us to know that he has all authority? If he has all authority, that means the the enemy has. Man, this changes a lot of things because in the church, we've been on the defense a lot, guys. Oh, that devil's coming to get us. He's going to get us. And we've been scared and we've been hiding and we've been running and we've been just trying to hold ground. But let me tell you something. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, I beat that devil. I slapped him around while I was down there. And I came back. And I'm standing in front of you right now telling you I have the authority. I have the power. And I'm sending you with that authority. And I'm sending you with that power because I'm leaving you my spirit. Man, if we get this, guys, it can be a life-changing thing. It could be the difference between us living a defensive life with the enemy always winning and always taking ground. Or if we say, you know what? We were put here to displace the enemy, to, re- to make the kingdom of this earth reflect the kingdom of heaven. That's our mission. And we can do it because he already won. The devil's got no teeth. The promise of signs and wonders that follow those that accept him. It says that in my name they will cast out demons, meaning they will war against and defeat the works of Satan in Jesus' name. They will speak of new tongues. 
meaning that they're full of the Holy Spirit. They will take up serpents, meaning that they will live without fear. Listen, nobody go and be don't don't go picking up rattlesnakes in the name of Jesus. Okay? Let's not be like that. It, he's saying we live without fear. We live without fear. If they drink anything deadly, it will be, by no means hurt them. We live under God's protection. Amen. That's a that's a good thing to know. And they will lay hands on the sick and they, they will recover. See, I, I love that verse. I'm, I may not be seeing the person I'm praying for healed, but it says they will recover. So I've got to hold on to that. Even if I'm not seeing it, I've got to hold on. I planted a seed and God will accomplish His Word. Amen? We just heard a testimony about someone that was defeated cancer. But you know, there was a time in between where he was diagnosed and there was a time period where he was receiving prayer and standing in faith and then coming to the point where the doctor says, there's no more cancer. See, we've got to trust that God will. He will. And we will walk in the full authority of Jesus. That's the, that's the reason. That's the reason we have the Holy Spirit. We're anointed to, to be a witness is the next section that the book talks about. Jesus called us to witness. He appointed us by the Holy Spirit to do these things. Number one, to win souls. Proverbs 11.30 <clears throat> talks about this. The big thing is we have to introduce those who, who are lost to the saving grace of Jesus. Listen, that's got to be our number one reason. It's got to be the number one thing in our lives. Is we got to see hurting people that are dying and going to hell and say, not on my watch. Not while I'm here. I'm going to be somebody that will tell you about Jesus. I'll tell you that he loves you, that he died for you, that he lives for you. It's so important that we're, we're after souls for Jesus. The second thing is to open blinded eyes. We do this by demonstrating the power and the love of God. You know, I love in Acts, <clears throat> Paul says that I, I didn't come with eloquent words and, and these, you know, deep theological teachings, but I came with, to you with the power of the Holy Spirit. I came to you in power. Listen, the world is hungry for a church that's got some power. You know, it, it's, it's nice that we can quote Scripture. It's nice that we can have theology and we have an understanding of the mysteries that God has put in His Word. Those are wonderful things. But let me tell you something. You introduce someone to the power of God and they will change in an instant. You pray for someone that has a broken leg and they're instantly walking, something will change in them instantly. You know, we have to be walking in power. We have to go after that because it's in us, right? It's in us. We're the temple. 
We're the carriers of the Holy Spirit. It's in us. The third thing is we break the yoke of bondage. Isaiah 10 talks about it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and that sets the captives free. Listen, I know we'd say a lot of stuff like, oh, they're anointed. Let me tell you something. If you said yes to Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus, you're anointed. You're appointed. And you are able to set the captive free. And that's what we're here to do, is proclaim his freedom everywhere that we go. It's the anointing that gives us the boldness to approach others, to release the kingdom upon earth. Trying to spread the kingdom without his presence or his anointing is like trying to make ice without water. Good luck. It's a necessary thing that we have, the anointing, which flows from the presence of God. It's so important that we have that working in us because, you know, when His presence is so thick on us that when we see someone hurting and broken that we can't help but be moved in compassion like Jesus was. How many times was Jesus moved with compassion and instantly went and healed somebody? That's because He was constantly aware of His identity, His purpose on this earth. And so must we be. We must know that we're here to bring life and hope and restoration. Persecution for the gospel. There are three specific areas of persecution that Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter 10. There are religious leaders, government officials, and members of your own household. Listen. I want you to realize that the things that Jesus warned us about, did y'all see Satan on the list? I didn't see him on there. Religious spirit, be very careful about. Number one, watch out for that religious spirit because it's got a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof, and it will corrupt if you allow it to get on you if you allow it to be something that you embrace and sit amongst. Be careful of a religious spirit. Number two, government officials, politics. You know, we can be, all of us can be so consumed by the politics of this world that we forget that we are here to usher in a government from another In the world, not of the world. Next is members of your own household. And this is a tricky one, guys. This is hard because, you know, that's your family. But Jesus knew that your family can quickly steer you away just as fast as anything else from His presence and His will in your life. Sometimes we allow our family and members of our family to take the place of God in our lives. They have the ultimate say on what we do and when we do it. And we clear everything that we do through so-and-so in our family. And that should not be. 
God is in control. He's the head and He's the Lord. And if someone has got that place in your life of such influence besides Jesus, that's why, that's why the Bible says that a man would cleave to his wife and leave his father and mother. Listen, nobody should have that on your heart. Nobody. Husbands, even your wife, even your wife should not be the voice of God in your life. And wives, even your husband should not be the voice of God in your life. God is God. God is God. Now, the great thing is, is God appointed marriage. And so God works in, in the confines of covenant. So when the God is dealing with your heart, you know what? He's going to be dealing with the other's heart. I guarantee it. I've had a lot of spankings over that. <laughs> Jesus promised us that when we called upon, when we're called upon to witness and defend the gospel, that the Spirit of our Father would give us the words to speak in Matthew chapter 10. This comforts me because I don't always know what to say. Very, very much so, I don't know what to say. But I know that God's Word is truth. And I know that I can always count on Him to come through for me. If He pulls me to it, He'll get me through it. You hear that? If He pulls you to it, He'll get you through it. So just go. If you feel God is calling you to pray for someone, if you feel like someone is calling you to speak something to someone, go and let God be God and let Him speak through you. Jesus also told us to fear God, not, not persecution or death, because we are immeasurably important to the Father. Peter displayed this to the high priest when, in Acts chapter 5, they had just been thrown into prison for preaching. They get out and they go right back to preaching. And here comes the Pharisees and, and all these other people that are saying, Hey, didn't you learn your lesson? Why, why are you still speaking? You know that they just threw you in jail. You know you're not supposed to do that. And their words were, should we obey God or man? And let me tell you something. That's, I promise you that when you step out in this world and you start representing Jesus in this kingdom, you are going to catch a lot of grief and resistance. People are going to tell you not to pray. This ain't the place for you to pray. I remember in the military, I used to do prayer for every, every ceremony we did. I was the guy that did the prayer. And towards the end of my enlistment, we had a colonel come in and let me know that I can no longer pray in the name of Jesus. I have to say in the name of God. So I would not be offensive to other people's religions. Well, that just didn't sit well with me. Because I don't want you to think I'm praying to some other God because there's only one God. And so I got up in the ceremony and I said, in the name of Jesus. And I got called into his office first thing the next morning. And he gave me a good earful about how he had talked to me and told me that I was not to do that. And I told him exactly what? Paul, 
Am I to listen to you or to God? You might be my commanding officer, but you are not my God. Now, he didn't let me do prayer anymore. (laughs) But let me tell you something. I did not bow my knee to that man. And I could hold my head up high every time I saw him. Because he knew I would not bow my knee. And that's where we have to do. God takes us into situations a lot where you've got to make the choice. Are you going to be obedient to God or are you going to be obedient to men? <clears throat> Fear cannot be allowed to cancel out our faith. We should be more fearful about pleasing God than public persecution, rejection, and ridicule. Jesus said to consider it all joy to be persecuted for Him because those are the ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, we have got to figure out a way to start carrying persecution around like a badge of honor. Like we have got to stop trying to avoid persecution and ridicule, and we have to start running into it and go, man, thank you, pin it on me. Like it's a ceremony and you're graduating to another level in the Lord. Because that's what's happening. You you know, that's how we earn our stripes in the kingdom. Is we take some stripes. Let our attitudes towards establishing the kingdom on earth be as in in Timothy talked about. In chapter 2, verse 2 through 7, 2 Timothy. You have often heard me teach. Now I want you to, t- you to tell these same things to followers who can be trusted to tell others. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you must endure your share of suffering. For soldiers on duty don't work at outside jobs. They try only to please their commanding officer. No one wins an athletic contest without obeying the rules. And the farmers who work hard are the first to eat what grows in the fields. If you keep in mind what I've told you, then the Lord will help you understand completely. There's three components I want you to understand that we have to have working and attitudes of our heart. There's the soldier, there's the athlete, and there's the farmer. And here's the things we need to have from those things, the the character that we need to carry with us from those people and those who do that. Soldiers are disciplined. They focus on the task and are willing to suffer hardship even unto death. The athlete, he doesn't take shortcuts. He's not looking for a way to cheat. He goes by the rules. He he obeys. He's obedient. The farmer, he's hardworking and full of faith, totally dependent on God for the crop. Let me tell you, if y'all will get those three things, if we will get those three things working in our lives, you will see growth like you have never seen before. Because most of the things that we face require this type of character to get through. Most of the things that we face as believers that are trying to grow us require us to have these things working in our lives. So I encourage you 
Keep the soldier, keep the athlete, and keep the farmer in your heart and your mind because it, it will help you. It'll help you get breakthrough. Standing strong. God warned us not to be ashamed of the gospel or deny him before man. Why is that? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, 32 through 33, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before man, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, him will I deny before the Father in heaven. This is one of those verses I read and I always, I mean, it, it, it shakes me. Like, I, I don't know if y'all have those, those scriptures in, in that you read that you go, oh, Lord, <laughs> help me. Because listen, guys, if you're ashamed, if you're embarrassed, if you're afraid to share your faith, that's not okay. I'm just going to be real, real honest with you. It's not okay. Jesus says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before the Father. And let me tell you something. You do not want to be denied before the Father. We're going to talk about eternal judgment in just a minute. But there is a heaven and there's also a hell. They're both real. And we have to live our lives in a way that we honor God and we put God first, not just as fire insurance. Okay? I'm not trying to sell you fire insurance tonight. That's not why I want you to come to Christ and that's not why I want you to serve Him. But I want you to know that you've got to love Him. If you love someone, you'd never deny them. You know, I think about my children and I think about there's no way I would ever deny them. I would never deny them. They're my kids and I love them. We have to have that kind of love for God because He has that kind of love for us. And anything less is just unacceptable. It's not going to get you there. It's not going to help you enter into relationship with Him because He demands all of it. The good news is, is sometimes we fall short and God did, did this wonderful thing through Jesus and gave grace. And there's a lot of grace and a lot of mercy and it's all available every second of every day. So maybe you fall. Maybe you go somewhere and you don't speak up and maybe you are embarrassed. But let me tell you something. There should be a conviction that comes on your heart. And if it doesn't, then you've got to check yourself, okay? But if there's a conviction that comes and says you should have said something, take that conviction and then go do what he wanted you to do. Because until you go and pass that test, I promise you, you won't go where he's wanting you to go. He's going to take you to that test over and over and over again until you get it right. And then he'll let you go to the next thing. So follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit and let him lead you into repentance. Be quick to forgive others and also be quick to forgive yourself. I find that to be one of the hardest things for myself. God has called us to speak freedom from sin, sickness, and death through Jesus, the good news. He also wants to, for us to, 
tell the things that God tells us in private or whispers through His Spirit. And He wants to tell of God's endless and unfailing love. Remember that it's not our job to bring conviction or judgment to the world. We simply need to speak God's truth and love and let the Holy Spirit bring conviction towards sin, God's just, justice and judgment. All of us should be able to say the following on the day of our death. Number one, I fought the good fight. Man, that's a good thing to be able to say, right? When, when, it, when the push came to shove, I didn't run. I didn't cut and run. I fought the fight. I finished the race, number two. Number three, I've kept the faith. Number four, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, if you're not in a fight... I had somebody tell me once that if you never run into the devil or into opposition in your walk with Christ, you got to ask yourself, are you walking? Are you walking with him? Okay? That's a good sign that something is going good in your life is that you're catching a lot of grief for it. There's a lot of resistance from the enemy. Because let me tell you something, the enemy doesn't care about you being religious. He doesn't care about you being ineffective and timid and weak about your Christian faith. He could care less. In fact, he's probably going to be the number one cheerleader for you to keep right on going in every Sunday, sitting on the same pew and having the same religious experience every week and never change nothing. That is the best ploy the enemy could ever do. But as soon as you become a sold-out son and daughter for the Lord, boy, you just became number one on his hit list because you threaten his kingdom. You threaten what he's built. Because he knows ultimately we were placed here day one Day one, after we were created, God said, here it is, take dominion. Take dominion from who? If God didn't have the dominion, and he commissioned us to take dominion, who were we taking it from? The enemy. The enemy was cast out from heaven, correct? When, when the Lord looked over the earth, said it was... Dark, covered in darkness. That's where the enemy landed. It was right here. So God said, well, I could just take care of this in one word. Or I could do better. I'll make something that's a little lower than the angels. And I'll use that to reveal my glory and my power and to destroy my enemy. There we are. Our divine purpose to take dominion, to cast him out. That's why we're here. That's why the Great Commission was given. 
to confirm the word. Laborers of the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them, and they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, A large crop is in the field, but there's only a few workers. After the Lord in charge of the harvest is sent out to send out workers to to bring it in. Ask for the Lord in charge of the harvest to send out workers to bring it in. You know, the world's full of dying and lost people. That's what he's talking about. The harvest is there, guys. Like, you don't have to even look. Like I said, your neighbor's. Your neighbors are, are hungry. They're dying. They're destitute. A lot of them are, are just looking for somebody to come and share some hope, especially in this world we're in, man. God, you can't watch TV for two seconds without wanting to slit your wrist nowadays. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible thing. You know, you, you watch news for two seconds, and, man, the spirit of depression will come all over you. It's a lie, though. Because we know the truth. We know the truth. We know that Jesus is in control. And it doesn't matter what's going on out there. What matters is going on in here. Because Jesus is not as interested in calming the storm as calming us, bringing peace in us. Because once the peace is in us, then we can do whatever we want with the storm. In Corinthians, it says, Paul reminds us that as a large body with many members, one sows, one reaps, one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. Whatever our part is, big or small, God has a reward for doing your part. You know... I love this. This is one of my life verses. I, I, I love this verse. Listen, you're going to spend a lot of your life just spreading some seed. And you're never going to see the harvest on that. You're just not. And you're gonna, sometimes you'll get the opportunity to water that seed. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll just be planting But here's what I love. God honors whether or not we're planting or we're watering or we're in the harvest. God honors us the same because it's Him that gets the increase, that gives the increase and gets the glory. Since we are working together as a body, we should also rejoice together as a body. Let's not fight over who plants and waters or reaps, but rejoice together that God's garden is growing. It's not our garden. You know, sometimes we we try to take ownership, you know. I know I do in my life all the time. I try to think that that's mine. You know, I, I, I see that a lot in ministry too. Like, this is my ministry. Like you want you want to hear buzzwords for things to stay away from? Stay away from people that say this is my ministry. This is my because listen, 
None of it's ours. It's all his. It's all his. It's his garden. It's his, it's his ministry. It's his kingdom. As fishers of man, we must allow Jesus to tell us where to cast the nets. Then we, must, with them we will draw more than we could ever imagine into the kingdom. I think that's the key to the Great Commission is to be in tune with what Jesus is saying every day, every minute. Because if you will listen and, and heed His voice and His direction, you will accomplish so much more than just trying to do it independently of Him. It just it works so much more effective when we follow His plan. You know, the great thing is uh, Greg was telling me that, you know, when you get off track... And you, but you feel like you heard the voice of the Lord. You know, here's the straight line, and you think you're on it, but you kind of got off because you really weren't probably hearing the Lord. It, maybe it was pizza, like Dan says. But you really, you're in your heart, you felt like you were following the Lord. God honors that. And instead of making you turn back around where you got off, He'll just bring you right back and let you continue on. But on the other hand, when we're completely disobedient, then God makes us go all the way back. Makes that do that whole round the mountain circle thing. So I encourage you, be led by His voice. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Be someone who's always praying about what it is God wants you to do. Every morning, I try my best every morning to wake up with the prayer, Lord, today open my ears to hear what you would want me to do today. Lead me to the person you want me to minister today. And give me the wisdom to speak what you would have me to speak to them when I do. And if you do that, most often every day that I do that, God will send me somebody. Whether just random things happen, and all of a sudden, okay, God, that's the person. When I don't do that, I usually don't hear much of anything, to be really honest, because I'm not focused on it. All right, we're going to go into the second coming of Jesus. He is coming. Thank you, Jesus. Eternal judgment. In Acts 1, 9-11, we are promised that Jesus will come again in the same manner that He left. His return is described in greater detail in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, saying, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I love that he says, comfort one another with these words. Because I grew up in the church and there was nothing comforting about the return of the Lord. I, it was always a threat. 
you know. But it's supposed to be a comfort to us. To those who know the Lord, this is the greatest comfort that we know. Dad is coming back, man. He's coming back. What is so comforting about his return? Well, number one, the dead in the Christ will be raised. You know, so many times, I think this is the number one thing we struggle with is we see our loved ones die, and often way too soon or way too early. But let me tell you something, this is a comfort. Because those who have passed, we know that as long as they knew the Lord, as long as they had met Jesus, we'll see them again. We will meet them in the air. One day we will see them. That's comforting because I don't know how the world lives without that hope. I really don't. I don't understand that. It's got to feel really, really empty. Number two, we shall be incorruptible. We'll, we'll take off the corruption. You know, that part of us that is just, you know, just not quite there yet. We're trying, but we're just not there. But let me tell you something. There will be the day where we will ta- put off the, the corruptible and we'll put on incorruptible. And we will be like Jesus in every way. We will be immortal, meaning we'll never face death again after that. And the physical will never face death. And we shall forever have victory over death. Amen. You know, I, I think that this is one of the areas where I find most people struggle the most is with death. Such a fear of death. And honestly, sometimes that fear will keep people from doing anything significant or important with their life. Because they are so stricken by death. But see, Jesus came so that we could be free of the fear of death. Because we know life begins, the, 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 the real life, the eternal life begins at death. Now, thankfully, we understand that in our spirit, we're already dead. So hooray for that. We've already stepped in. But one day, this body that's deteriorating, that's slowly dying, one day we get to go, okay, that's going away. And we're about to, we're about to be young, strong, like we used to be. Even stronger. Because there will be no... No weakness in us. No deficiency. When I'm going to skip that. Changed into his image. Jesus is coming back for the church that is transformed into his image. Second Corinthians chapter 3 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Listen, the, the whole purpose is for us to be transformed into Jesus, changed into the image of Jesus. And this is something that we all need to understand is Jesus is coming back for a bride that looks as good as he does. He's coming back for a bride that looks as good as he does. Jesus looks real good. The righteous acts of the saints. Some of the the typical things that we all should be doing and that Jesus gave us a template for to give a drink to the thirsty, food to the hungry, take in a stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, visit those in prison. Those are some very simple things and some things that sometimes we take for granted. We don't really think about the importance of those things. But those are the simple things that God and Jesus laid out for us that we should all be trying to fulfill in our lives. Purity of heart and life. Jesus is looking for a pure bride without spot or blemish. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. You know, I love that. Just the hope of being transformed into His purity and His likeness, the Bible says makes us pure. Did y'all catch that? It says the hope. Just walking in the hope of being transformed into His image actually transforms us into His image. There's something very significant and powerful about hope. Very important. What standard of conduct does, does God give the church? Number one, to deny ungodliness and the worldly desires. Number two, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. What should the world see in a fully prepared church or bride? Number one, an evangelic church that has spread the gospel of Jesus through the entire world. Two, a church ununified to God or, or unified to God, just as Jesus was. Number three, a church full of his honor and glory. And number four, a church full of love. Those are some pretty big things. Real big things. Mm. The church will reach this state of readiness when it becomes completely submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit and committed to being transformed to His image through the Word of God. Eternal judgment. Revelations tells us all those whose names are written in the book of life will enter into life eternal. Those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. So how do we know that, the, uh, that our name is in the book? Well, number one, we believe that Jesus 
is God's Son. Two, we love God and all those who are His children. And I would add that we even love those who are not His children. Number three, we keep His commandments. Number four, we have the witness, the Holy Spirit in our heart. These things confirm that we know Jesus and that Jesus knows us and has written our names. You know, I, I hate that we have, we have to choose between these theologies such as once saved, always saved. And on this side, walking away from God's love and grace. Because the truth is, is that Jesus died that we would be secure and safe. His offer is eternal and it's true. But He gave us this thing called choice. And that choice is ours until the very end. To the very end, we can choose life or death. The Bible says, I put before you life and death. He even tells us which one to choose. Choose life. Why would he need to say that? Because you have the option to choose death. We all have an option to walk away from his grace, to walk away from his goodness, to walk away from his purpose in our life. We all have that choice. But that is not what God has wanted for us. It's not God. Anybody who ends up in hell rolled their own boat. Okay? Nobody put them there. God didn't put you in hell. If you make it there, you didn't get there by God. God made every provision. He sent His own Son to die so that you would trust in Him, believe in Him, and follow Him. And man, what, a, what an awesome thing to follow. Everything about Jesus is good. Like, everything about Him is good. The church will reach the state of readiness when it becomes completely submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit and committed to being transformed by the Word of God. Being alert and ready. In Luke chapter 12, 35-37, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding that when He comes and knocks, they may open to Him immediately. Blessed are the servants whom the Master, when He comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that He will gird Himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Jesus wants us to be watching and ready. He He. He's got some things for us to realize that we need to understand 
when he comes back, there's a few things, that, a few categories we're going to fall into. We're either going to be a wise and faithful servant, as it continues to talk about in Luke 12, 42 through 48. And a faithful servant gives the other servants their food supplies at the proper time. The reward is that he will surely be put in charge of everything that the master owns. So we can either be a faithful servant or we could be a drunken servant. And this one thinks that the master won't return until late. So he starts beating all the other servants and eats and drinks and gets drunk. And well, his reward is the master will come on that day and at that time when the servant least expects it, that servant will then be punished and thrown out like an unbeliever. I want you to hear the importance of understanding that when he's talking about, he's talking about servants. He's talking about people who have said, yes, I dedicate my life to you. He's not talking about the world right now. He's talking about us. So we have an important thing that we have to realize. We need to be ready. We need to be living our lives every day in honor of our King, in honor of Jesus. The next thing is we could be a lazy servant. And they are not ready or willing to do what the Master wants them to do. You know, um, uh, now's not a good time. Uh, this, this, and this reason. You know, when when school's done, then I'll do it. When this is done, then I'll do it. There's always an excuse to do what the Lord is wanting you to do. This is the attitude of a lazy servant. <clears throat> the reward. In, in the Bible, it says that they will be beaten hard. I don't know what that translates to. I don't know what that looks like. But I would like to avoid the beaten. <laughs> Ignorant servant is the last category. They're servants who just don't know what their master wants them to do. And actually the reward for the ignorant steward or ignorant servant is that they won't be beaten as hard. So so you actually get a little bit of a break for just being completely ignorant. But I'm, I'm not going to apologize for doing this class, okay? So ignorance is not an excuse. We know what Jesus wants us to do. Um... In the uh, parable of the ten virgins, it teaches us that we should pay attention to the fire that's within us. We do this through an intimate, growing relationship with God. We should never reach a place of complacency where we no longer seek after maturity, knowledge, wisdom, and most importantly, the presence of God. Keep the fire burning. Those of us who are faithfully waiting need not worry or be afraid. But those who are not faithfully waiting with oil and good work should fear the sudden return of Jesus. God is coming back for His bride, the church. This should not be feared, but it should fill us with hope, peace, and joy. For Jesus has given us the victory over death 
and over judgment. Jesus gave us the victory over both death and judgment. So don't, don't leave here tonight without the hope that we have in Jesus firmly in place in your life. Jesus is enough. I'm going to say that as many times as I can. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. If you will hold to Him as your anchor, if you will make Jesus your true north in your life, if everything revolves around Jesus, you will get there and you have nothing to worry about. But if you take your eye off Jesus, then you're going to need to be in, in a place of constant, oh my goodness, I hope you don't come back today. And that's not a good place to be. That's not a place where any of us should be living or want to live. Because there's no need for us to live there. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And the good news is, is that Jesus knew you're going to make mistakes. He knew you were going to blow it. That's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He lives again. That's why He intercedes for us. Even now as we're speaking. Jesus is enough. So, I just encourage you as we leave tonight, I want you all to think about the Great Commission. I want you to think about it and make it a command in your life. Make it something that is not just the great suggestion. But make it something that you always are thinking about. Who can I introduce to Jesus today? Who can I bring hope to today? Who can I share the gospel with today? And I promise you, if you start thinking that way, if you start to actively pursue that, God will actually bring in more people than you ever thought to witness to. Because He's just waiting for us to be prepared and ready. That's all He's waiting on. He's just waiting on us. Because we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So it's time for us to be about God's business. It's time for us to go out and share God's love, share His purpose, share His hope. And it doesn't have to be through a, a big sermon or anything like that. Sometimes it's just through living a life of love with people every day. Sometimes it's just going and actually meeting your neighbor, introducing yourself, and actually caring about their life when no one else has done that. So, in closing, Lord, I just thank You for tonight. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that that Your Word is going to bring much fruit in our lives, God. I thank You, Lord, that there's some people in here that are going to go and, and they're going to meet people and impact people, that Father, that will impact the world and the nations, Lord. I thank You, Father, that we can impact the nations not only through our direct contact, but through our giving, Lord. That even as we give to missions and to, to different things that are organizations and people that are, are reaching the lost all around the world, Father God, that, that we get to reap that. We get to reap with them in that harvest. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in this group 
of believers. We thank you for what you're doing in our, in our individual lives, God. And we just pray, Father, that as we leave tonight, we would go with purpose. We would go with a mission. And we would go with the commission. In Jesus' name, amen.